down in Petersburg, everything's fine. All lamb cats is drinking that wine, drinking that mess is their delight. When you get the wrong, start singing all night, drinking wine's for the you to drink wine. Wine's for the you to drink wine. Wine's for the you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Drinking that mess is their delight. When it gets a rump, start fighting all night. Knock down windows and tan down door. Drinking half gowns and calling for more. Drinking wine, for the yodi, drink wine. Wine, for the yodi, drink wine. Wine, for the yodi, drink wine. Welcome to Tasting Anarchy. I'm Jacob, and as always, I'm joined by Mason. And uh, this week I've got a little bit of a frog in my throat, so I think Mason will be doing probably more talking, but... Uh, yeah, more, more likely, and then uh, maybe a shorter episode. So yeah. we'll get this out of the way, tastinganarchy.com, and mm-hmm. uh, if you like some Twitters, Tasting Anarchy on Twitter. It's uh, us goofing off and, uh, well, Jacob yeah. goofing off, really. I mean, I eventually, hopefully, I'll uh, remember to log in and mm-hmm. post the shenanigans that I want to post. And uh, actually do that. So, um, and then you know, yeah. in tasting anarchy, we've got reviews of the of the wines we try. Um, hopefully, we'll be better about getting solid reviews mm-hmm. and episode notes as, as these go along. But you know, the the core of the site or the core of us is the podcast at the moment. Mm-hmm. But as we can expand and kind of centralize that, uh, we've got a lot of stuff planned. So you know, we're we're not going anywhere. There's I don't know what ten thousand grape varieties. So oh, you know, yeah. there's probably like. 10 to the 10,000 to the power mm-hmm. of at least two yeah. type wines. Well, so, and, you yeah. know. <laughs> and we're, I mean, we've got the Virginia wine region here. And uh, as I discovered the Appalachian, yeah. And I've, I had the first ever Texas wine when I was in Dallas last week. Now, which did you have the first ever wine produced in Texas? First ever that I've had from Texas. I was going to say, yeah. if you if you had had a wine from the first winery in Texas, like if it was yeah. still operating, well, that's like a, yeah. presuming like Texas had a like assuming well, they Texas actually, had a long yeah. wine history. That they would do. be cool. They Ooh. do. They have a long wine history, and they had the very first European uh, vineyard in the United States. Uh-huh. It was a it was at a Spanish mission. So. Why am I not surprised? Yeah, very interesting. <laughs> and uh, and they they gave a little information on the wine, and I probably should have written down what it was, but it was uh, not bad. It, it was not spectacular, but it was also the cheapest wine that this particular restaurant had on the thing. But it was the only Texas wine they had on the menu, which was yeah, it, it, odd. But I guess if you if they if it's not like you know when you think wine, you don't necessarily mm-hmm. think Texas. Yeah, yeah, and you know depending on where you're eating, like. Mm-hmm. You know, there there are some places where like liquor is more of their thing. Like yeah. they may have wines, and right. they you know they cover Chardonnay, Merlot, yeah. Cabernet Sauvignon Blanc, like right. maybe a Pinot mm-hmm. or two. You know, they cover those, and then they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. The cycles through. Like right. they don't have like a Salmon Yeah. Like and, and actually, it. this place did have more Texas wines, but it was by the bottle for the uh, for those. This was the only one by the glass that I could get. So that was the I guess the difference. Yeah. Well. Um. And you know, the, by the glass can get very expensive if it's a. I mean, by the bottle wine. can get. <laughs> That's true. <yeah. laughs> like pretty much uh, any wine yeah. can get expensive. Well, yesterday so. I had a, as our current employer provided, I had a glass of wine that was a twenty dollar glass of wine. It was a Merlot. Mm-hmm. It was good, but this kind of goes back into either my palate isn't large enough for me to tell the difference, or there isn't a difference between a $30 Merlot and a, a $30 bottle of Merlot and a $20 glass of Merlot. Well, like, and so I, that was where well, it was very smooth, very, it, yeah. I bet it tastes like a Merlot. But that's, and that's what I was going to say. Let's take a step back. Like, I don't know you as a Merlot guy. Yeah, that's like, true. Like, you know, that's the thing is like, if it was a cab, a cab yeah. 
you'd probably been able to tell more, more of yeah, it because that's, that's your more yeah. preferred wine style. Right. So, but I mean, yeah. like, not like it's a bad thing. Like, Yeah, and I did sorry. actually had uh, one of the few white varieties that I like a lot is a Sauvignon Blanc. Mm-hmm. And I had, I had a glass of that there that was $10 a glass or something ridiculous. But actually, that one, though, I got, like... Color wise was different, floral wise different, taste was very good. So I was like, hmm, this, I mean, a $10, this is $10 a glass, probably not something I would pay for on my own, but pretty good. Yeah. Well, that leads us into our wines tonight. Yep. So, um, for those of you who are listening to every episode mm-hmm. and provided we listen, <laughs> release them in the order we right. recorded them, uh, something we alluded to a while back, I had a birthday in January, mm-hmm. late January, um, and Jacob got me two bottles of wine. I did no research on the bottles of wine because mm-hmm. Jacob told me not to because yep. he'd already done it. But they're both from the same winery. They're yep. both Pinots, but one is more expensive than the other. And yes. my understanding is not like it's a $2 difference. And I did do all the research on that. And yeah. I printed it out and put it on a piece of paper in the bag that I gave you. <laughs> so and I don't know that I have. It's in the car. <laughs> okay. All right. That's okay. It's, well, it's, not, it's not that important. That yeah. I do remember some of it. So. The uh, the cheaper bottle is is a twenty dollar bottle of wine. Um, they are both Pinot Gris, and they are both uh, from the same winery. the The cheaper bottle is from various uh, vineyards in the region. Mm-hmm. The more expensive is single vineyard. Mm. Um, and so the the cheaper one, is, like I said, is twenty dollars a bot or uh, twenty dollars a bottle. Mm-hmm. The more expensive one is exactly twice the price. It's a forty dollar bottle of wine. Um, and I figured, you know, I don't mind splurging a little bit for my best friend's birthday, but also because I was going to help you drink it. Exactly. Yeah, uh, that's the, the huge advantage there. Yep. And so uh, I, I just thought it would be really interesting to see from the same winery what the different um, what the difference is. This is from King Estate Winery. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, they're both Pinot Gris. The uh, they're not from California, Willamette Valley. They're uh, Washington, I believe. No, they are Eugene, Oregon. Oh, Oregon. Or okay. Well. Let's say uh, bottle or produced and bottled by King Estates Winery, and um, it is it is Oregon, Eugene, yeah, Oregon on the on the bottom. Yeah, because so. I drive. The only reason I know Willamette Valley is because we, for fifteen years of my life, drove through Oregon every year to go to Washington from California. Yeah, and uh, but yeah, so you've tried it. What do you think? While you, while I'm trying so, the cheaper, I, I will give a little more on the wine while you're trying okay. it. So the one that we have open and the one we're trying first is the twenty dollar bottle of wine. It is very smooth. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of spike in the flavor, not a lot of high acidity. Um, definitely Pinot Grigio flavor, but kind of that like, and this is something that I've kind of come to expect with blends, mm-hmm. um, more muted flavor okay. because they, they don't want one, you know, they have to mute the flavor. So one right. one area of the, one you know, especially when they come from multiple wineries or multiple growing areas, they can't have one like kill it by accidentally being too yeah. more acidic or something like that. So this is the 2016 Pinot Grigio um, from Wilmot Valley, um, King Willamette. Estates. Yeah. yeah. And then um, the other one is their 2015, and I believe it's the Domain one. So it, it definitely looks more fancy on the bottle. But something that you and I have always liked to point out, the $20 one is a twist cap. Mm-hmm. The $40 one is a corked. Right. But if you look at the bottom of mm-hmm. the $20 one, it's got like grip oh, to the bottom yeah. so like it looks like a fancier bottle to me yeah because it's got like a stabilization to the bottom of the bottle mm. compared to the 40 dollar one yeah but that makes me wonder if like oh like 
fanciness to the bottle, like right. the bottle shape and stuff like that. If that maybe that's like one of those things where it's like, oh, it's gauche, oh, like to yeah. be that way. So I, I, it's one of those for it's definitely a $20 Pinot Grigio. Yeah, it's good. Like, it's good, yeah. but it's not like pushing you one direction with mm-hmm. like Pinot's can. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those ones where you're like, you go like, oh, how much was this wine? $20? Yeah. Not bad. And, and like yeah. a lot of the Pinots, like I've, I've, this one is a little more alcoholic than I think most Pinots. That's At least that's what I taste. Um, it's it's very floral. Mm-hmm. But I think that we've had Pinots before that were very floral as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, but it, it has that kind of cidery taste to it where it's it's very crisp. It's not carbonated, but because the crispness, the crispness makes it kind of seem a little bit carbonated as yeah. far as the the bite. So, um, as you know, mm-hmm. I've been on on a quest to refine a bottle of wine that my wife and I bought mm-hmm. at Kroger when it was on super sale. Mm-hmm. We we thought we took pictures of the bottle, like it was my wife's favorite bottle of wine she's ever okay. had. I came very close this weekend with a Riesling. Mm. And it was a sweet Riesling. So as you and I know the Riesling yeah. scale. And we came very close. But it also had that like acidity that hinted at carbonation. Okay. And yeah. it was super like, it's like, huh. And this yeah. is, the this is I don't taste it as much on this one um, as you as you seem to be picking up. But definitely mm-hmm. like it was surprising like the two and two in a weekend where like yeah. there's a, like a carbonation almost to it. Yeah. I think this is a good one. And while we're enjoying this glass before we go on to the more expensive one, uh, I will go ahead and regale everybody with tales of my trip to Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> so to Texas. Yeah, my trip to Texas. So uh, for those of you who have been listening to the show, I think I've kind of hinted at it or at least said something that I'm probably going to be moving uh, to Texas soon. So Mason and I are trying to figure out how we're going to change the format of the show and plan out like, a couple of visits here or something yeah. like that uh, to try to keep this going. But uh, I had a real, really good time in Dallas. Really cool city. And it's not a city that um, that you think of when you like, at least like when you and I talk about places, like I don't think we've ever really mentioned like Dallas. Mm-hmm. So it's been like New York or Boston or San Francisco or Seattle. Yeah. Or, there's, there's not a lot of, and this is, there's not a lot of mid country mm-hmm. news. Right. Reported where we live. Yeah. Yeah, so it's yeah, it's coast all coast, 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 coast yeah. So, uh, so this was actually very refreshing. Like Victoria and I kind of picked it out on the map just because it was uh, an airport hub city and uh, a growing city. It's actually the fastest growing city in the United States right now, and um, a lot of job openings and stuff like that. So we we're like, oh, well, this will be a good place because it'll be closer for me. Because as the listeners know, I'm from California. It'll be closer for me to go to California, but not in California where mm-hmm. I'll be taxed to death. Or and like have to deal with all this crazy stuff, and uh, but it's also close to here, and uh-huh. I want to be able to come back to here. I'm not, I'm not like against the area. I'm not super crazy about it either. But a lot of my friends here. I mean, I've been here 15 years. Yeah, you're here. Uh, Nate's not here, but he, you know, he comes down occasionally and, and uh, moves yeah. back to Northern yep. Virginia, and yep. it's not that yeah. far of a drive. Yeah, other Jacob. Yeah, um, and it's like to fly to Norfolk from Dallas. It's like 200 bucks to fly to DC. It's like 80. Yeah. Um, and that's a four, uh, actually it was, we made it down here in two and a half hours from DC, which was Holland. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, well, I paid for the express lane and cost like $16 to, and I just went down the express <laughs> lane. Um, but, uh, really great time, really cool city. And it reminds me a lot of a much flatter Seattle. Hmm. Um, 
but with also much fewer homeless and a lot more clean. So it was, it was, it was definitely a city, like a real city, not, yeah. not like Norfolk and Virginia Beach are cities. And, and they, they do have large populations. Virginia Beach is, uh, largest city. Yeah. 500,000 or something like in that. Virginia. Yeah. yeah. And Norfolk's 260 or 270 yeah. or something like that. So pretty big cities. Dallas is 7 million. Well, the, the like Metroplex that. is 7 million. Yeah. Dallas proper is one and a half million. Um, but it, it's a legitimate city. Uh, one of the cool things we, I mean, we looked at, I, I, I'm going to say 23 apartments. I think Victoria disagrees with me on that number, but, uh, I counted them while we were on the airplane and I'm pretty sure we saw 23 apartments and, uh, all different parts of the city. The city's really interesting the way it's, it's divided up very walkable, which also kind of surprised me. Like I would expect it to be like Virginia beach or Jacksonville or somewhere like that. Well, I mean, when you think Texas, you don't think like yeah. someplace you walk between the cities. You yeah, exactly. think like, all right, I'm going to get in the yeah. tractor and drive right, to exactly. the other. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Like, you think of it more as like a rural thing, but it was like, but we went, so we started looking at apartments in downtown and when you we were talking to the people, we were like, where the next apartment was, we we're like, oh, well, you know, how long is it going to take us to drive there? And they're like, you don't have to drive. You can just, it's just up the street. It's like five minute walk. And it was in a completely different section of the city, which once you get there, feels like a completely different section of the city. It's like, it's like going from a real downtown with skyscrapers and high rises and all that sort of stuff to going to Ghent. Yeah. And it's like, and it's, but they're low rises. So they're tall enough that you don't really see the skyscrapers. So, it, and it, and it's very quiet and very calm stuff like that so there was there's parts of the cities that we looked at we looked at downtown we looked at farmer's market which they have a really cool farmer's market there um we looked at victory park which is the part of the city where we think we're going to end up living and i'll, I'll get back to that because it's also going to lead into one of my topics oh. uh we looked at uptown we looked at um the arts district um which is like a kind of a hipstery place mm. the Ghent. Of, uh, it's sort yeah it's sort of Ghent. well i'm saying the yeah. feel like yeah. the feel of ghent when somebody says ghent to right. somebody who lives in this area yeah yeah so it may not be structurally or like yeah geographically not geographically demographically right so yeah i mean the arts district kind of struck me more as like a museum part of the city there's a lot of museums there a, a lot, lot of, of art galleries yeah. are there okay yeah. uh i guess well, there's just, at least one yeah so uh and the neon districts in ghent. yeah the part that reminded me a lot of Ghent was they call it Deep Elm, which mm-hmm. what, do you, what, what how would you say what would the word E L M how do you pronounce that E L M Elm that's how I would say it but everybody there says Elm isn't that weird but, but. oh well I mean <coughs> I guess like it depends on um, mm. like if it was named after somebody mm. or something like that I just assumed it was like an elm tree well yeah I mean that would be yeah. my assumption as well but like also you know it's just there's a couple things where mm-hmm. um, I forget there's there's this one there's this one place where like and it's not in Texas it's it, it's somewhere where like everywhere else in the world pronounces it this one way. Oh yeah. And they pronounce it purposely different. Okay. And it's yeah. like it could be that. It'd be like if you were like, "Oh yeah, we live in Paris." And then you're like, "No, it's Paris." Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, "No, that's not how like yeah, it's like something like in forget it, it's in the south, but Okay. It's one of those things where you're like, "Why is it pronounced that way?" No one yeah. else in the world pronounces it this yeah. way. And like that's how you know somebody's not from there. Yeah. And, yeah. It, and it's not a small place. Well, it's like, sort of Norfolk's a little bit like that, too. Because like yeah. when people first get here, they're like, how do you say this? Norfolk? Norfolk? It's like Norfolk. No. Yeah, Norfolk. <laughs> it, but yeah, but, but when we first thing is here, like, But that's like my mom doesn't say it that way. My mom oh, yeah. has a Tidewater accent. Okay. So like she says it differently and I can never get it right. And mm. like if you ask me to pronounce it, yeah. I will pronounce it differently because you've asked me. Okay. Like. Yeah. I, I'm very bad with the like, <coughs> consistent pronunciation of things. Yeah. 
Well, one of the, one of the reasons that we liked so Deep Ellum was kind of like the Ghent. It had a, like mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of restaurants, a lot of breweries, a lot of brew pubs, bars, that sort of stuff. And it's like kind of like the hipster area, I guess. Incredibly reasonably priced city. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like we pay a certain amount for this apartment, and it's not really in a great part of the city. It's not a bad part, but it's not a great part. I mean, yeah. And uh, not really anything around here. Uh, there's a couple of restaurants down the street, but none of them are half of them closed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this. <clears throat> All of the places that we went to were about the same rent, but just a way better part of the city and way newer apartments. Which is, everything was just better about it. And if and presuming that I can get a job that pays as much or more than what I've got now, like we're going to be in a much better situation. I mean, even if they paid what you paid now, that's true. I'd make six thousand dollars more a year because the taxes are lower. Yeah. So, but uh, the sales tax is about the same. It's uh, I think ours is seven and a half. Theirs is eight. So. Yeah, but there's no state income tax. That's true. Yeah, so, so that's a big that big plus. Um, uh, one of the reasons, though, we liked Victory Park was what's going to lead into my topic is that there is a their mass transit's called the Dart, mm-hmm. and uh, the Dart there is actually laid out very well. Um, it's still a money loser because all of the train systems in the United States are money losers, but uh, it is very convenient for us. And is you know, if we're moving there and paying taxes, we might as well use it, but it goes to both airports. The, the Dallas Fort Worth airport's about 40 minutes away on the train. The love field one's about 15 on the train. Mm-hmm. Um, it also goes downtown. You can take the, take it all the way over to Fort Worth if you want. Um, and it's like the maximum is $5 for it to go to Fort Worth. Cause it's not considered regional. It's five bucks to go to either one of the airports. It's two fifty. So don't have to pay for parking at the airports, which is one of the reasons we picked Dallas was because the airports are there yeah. and they're cheap flights. So, you know, 80 bucks to go to San Francisco, 80 bucks to go to San Diego, about $100 to go to D.C., between 80 and 100 yeah. about 200 to go here. So that's why we liked it. And so when we were there, because I'm obsessed with losing train systems because uh, we have here the light rail system, which is – was the, the second, second, yeah, second <laughs> most second. money lost. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but like and it like I can't remember if it's like per capita mm-hmm. or like was per rider. Yeah. So uh and it's <clears throat> I, I actually I think it's per rider mile. I think that's what it is. Is Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So uh Dallas is actually a big money loser, but it's on the high end of that. So it doesn't lose nearly as much it loses about thirty cents per rider per trip. Wow. Yeah. So and like that's the thing is like if it loses thirty cents per trip, mm-hmm. so instead of being five dollars to go to Fort Worth, make it seven. Yeah, make it four. Yeah. You know, four dollars to go to the airport. Like right. you could. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. I don't get it. But it's I guess for whatever reason the city in like every municipality for some reason is in love with light rail, and it's cool. Like I, I get it. Like for some reason Americans have this fascination with rail, and it's a cultural thing. And I think it's because they want to be kind of like Europe, or maybe it it's like harkens back to the old west when like the railroad built America I mean, and all that. Here's the thing: could be like, like really effective propaganda from back then. Well, as you remember, like or as you know, I've been to Europe more recently than you have, yeah. but you've been, yeah, in, you know. Like, that was the super cool thing about, like, Berlin and mm-hmm. Prague and stuff like that is you could buy a pass that allowed you on the train, the bus, mm-hmm. and the tram. Because yeah. the tram is different for, you know, three days for, like, yeah. 30 euros. And you're, like, right. $10, 10 euros a day. And then, like, you just, wherever you needed to go, yeah. you just jump, like, bust out Google Maps. And it would tell you, take the, you know, 506 bus to yeah. stop, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it, it's definitely a cool concept. Yeah. But, like, I don't, like, in a city that's not built with it there originally, yeah. I don't understand the point of putting in light rail 
When you could put it in buses. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, I've always made that argument. And, yeah. and this is actually what I'm kind of referring to. And this is the Cato Institute, uh, did a, which, you know, Cato's kind of our, not our rival because I'm not an intellectual, but like the guys who we like's rivals. Yes. Um, but they did a very thorough study on, uh, rail transit in the United States and Europe. And they said there's actually in the entire world, there's only, one place where rail makes money or is revenue neutral, and that's Asia because of the high population density. But uh, in Europe, it's a loser. In America, it's a loser. And they say that in order for – so I've got the numbers here. Dallas has, in 2014, had 70,000 jobs in downtown. Okay. And the light rail goes to downtown. And the theory is that it's going to deliver these workers to downtown. Well, they say, well, you do an analysis. You have to have 250,000 jobs in your downtown metro area in order for the rail to make sense because otherwise you're just not going to be transferring that much and you can't be subsidizing bus and roads. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the big problem is Dallas not only has the rail go there, it's got multiple bus lines that go downtown and they've got all the roads that go downtown and there's lots of parking. So they, so people will – there's so this is – and you and I have talked about this before where – uh, we talk about like the incentive structures and people think roads are the best way to get around. And to kind of further that talk, that, that talking point is you've got the government funding multiple competing styles of transportation. And when they're subsidizing all these styles, then they wonder why they're all money losers. Yeah. And it's because, well, building a road is a subsidy to the auto industry. And it's a, I guess, a disincentive to rail and busing. Well, probably busing, I guess it would be kind of a mix. But well, busing, busing, it's not a disincentive to busing. Yeah. Because busing can use, busing can mm-hmm. use the road. They can, but like, it's, but it's not exclusive. So. Yeah, but that's the, yeah. that's the thing with busing is it, it doesn't have to be exclusive. Mm-hmm. Because with busing, all you need is a, a shovel, a thing, yeah. a, a, a shovel and a sign and some cement. Yeah. And you have a new bus stop. That's true. You don't mm-hmm. have to put up any infrastructure yeah. other than literally just drop it and then work yeah. it in. Right. So. That was kind of the, the their thing is they're saying um, that – and actually there's a company that, that's been working on this a lot is that uh, if you have less than 250,000 jobs in your inner city, it makes no sense to put in a rail. You should just bus. And there's a company that's trying to make like quote-unquote sexy buses that look sort of like trains. Mm-hmm. And so they're saying like the main reason Americans don't want to ride the bus is because the bus is not sexy, but a train is sexy. And like they've done like uh, – you know, analysis or whatever, where they talk to different Americans and they're like, well, what, what do you like about the light rail system? And they're like, ooh, it's so cool and all that. But then they never ride it. Well, that's the thing is like, I like the BART yeah. in San Francisco, but I like the BART because you can be an hour and a half out of San Francisco yeah. and then take a train in. And I, yeah. I, I'll admit, I like trains. Yeah, I don't have you? any. I don't have any logical yeah. reason for liking. Yeah, trains. and I don't either. And that's why I think it might be like a just a cultural. Yeah, like a, just a cultural thing. I like trains too, but, and I don't know why. But here's the thing: this is what I don't like about the BART, and this is what I don't like about the Muni, mm. which is the San Francisco bus system. Yeah, the homeless get on there and piss on the seats. Yeah, yeah. It, like on both. Like, right. and that's the thing is like there's no incentive for like when you get in your car, mm-hmm. you have an incentive to keep your car clean. And not pee in your car because right. you're going to have to get in your car and drive again. Yeah. Like you you have to get in that same thing again. So like that's the problem with like not owning something. Yeah. Like yeah. there's no incentive for keeping it clean. Now, right. like presumably one would think if you're going to constantly be taking the train to and from work every day, mm-hmm. you want to keep that train clean. But that right. doesn't seem to be the case no. because there are people who get on there and it's like – you're in business attire, right? And you look like you've been on the train every day, and you're throwing crap on the ground, right? Like, yeah, and people, and I don't know, people don't, people do it. I mean, these these trains in Dallas seem very clean, but it's interesting that you mention uh, the train in the Bart 
because part of the Cato uh, paper is to compare the BART to the DART and and similar trains to the DART. And the, the, apparently the BART, so they say there's two ways that municipalities can go about uh, having rail in their city. Mm-hmm. And there's the Dallas way or the, the, there's several cities that did it this way, which is low cost, low capacity. Mm-hmm. And then there's the San Francisco way, which is high cost, high capacity. And in both cases, you get percentage-wise or per capita-wise about the same ridership, mm-hmm. but one is much more expensive than the other. And so they're saying like a lot of cities like Dallas chose to go with – they actually looked at the analysis and they went, man, people are just not going to ride this, but we'll build the rail so that it's light rail and we'll just do more frequent trains if we end up getting more people riding it. And sure enough, they didn't. And so they lost a lot less money and they lose a lot less per, per passenger. In the Bay Area, they did high capacity in the BART, high capacity, high cost – and they have the same per capita usage, or very similar per capita usage. I think it's San Francisco a little bit more. And uh, they lose about three times as much per passenger as the dark. <laughs> and that kind of brings us into my my article that's referencing California and their train is the good old Jerry Brown high-speed rail. Oh, my wife's favorite topic. Yep, yep. Which they, Outside of Jeff, Se- Jeff Sessions yeah. recently. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is they just released their, their new uh, – their new numbers or whatever, they're mm-hmm. going to be five years delayed now. Oh, wow. And $13 billion in addition to their already over budget budget. <sighs> and <laughs> and they won't I, stop. I, I cannot conceptually understand this. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know how it's happening, but they're, they're, the article I got for, is uh, from Reason Magazine or Real Reason Online. And it's by Brian uh, Doherty, who's written quite a few articles for them. Mm-hmm. Actually, I've gotten two things today that are from like Beltway conser- or Beltway Libertarian organizations. Yeah. Um, but he goes through and talks about it, and it, it's basically just kind of it, it's a hit piece. It's it's already the system already costs uh, seventy seven point three billion dollars in a state that's m- more or less bankrupt. Um, and amazingly so. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so this is you know one of those things that. Since Victoria and I decided we're moving down to Texas, um, a lot of my family is starting to go like, "Oh, well, is it how how much like California is it?" And I'm like, "Well, it's I mean, it's, it's similar in some ways, and it, it's it's more like a cross between Virginia and tech and uh, California. So it's a lot of same plants, as, yeah. but it's more humid and uh, it's a lot flatter. Uh, there are hills, which is unlike here, but uh, well, well, we have Mount Trashmore. Well, there's <laughs> a lot of that's the thing is like you just go west an yeah, hour, yeah. and there's hills in Virginia. Yeah. So, oh, that was actually another section of the city that was kind of cool that reminded me a lot of Placerville is if you go on the other side of the river, there's mm-hmm. like a kind of a ritzier area, but it's like, it, I don't know why it reminded me so much of Placerville, but it just, it does. But, uh, but yeah, so that was, you know, my brother-in-law called me while I was out there and he was like, are you guys really moving out there? And I was like, yeah. And uh, I said, yeah, this is, this is the plan. I mean, like, I got to find work, but we looked at apartments. We love it out here. It's really, really cool city. Um uh, it's uh, like crime statistics. It's a little more dangerous than Norfolk, but not much. And uh, and if you get out of the city, the crime statistics kind of even out. And it's about I mean, Virginia Beach. I think is actually one of the safest cities in the country. Yeah, but uh, I mean, it's also like one of like that's the thing about Hampton Roads. It's like yeah. some of the densest military population. Yeah, and it's not one specific military. Right, it's right. All of them. So yeah, so it's a it's a you know. Crime wise, it's but like he went and looked at San Francisco or Sacramento crime statistics, and Sacramento's got a lot of problems. I didn't realize Sacramento's I, terrible. So I always thought Sacramento was like a pretty no. clean city. I don't know. <laughs> no. Maybe it's just well, my I mean, bias from well, being from that area. Like when you think of like Sacramento, like you think of Stockton because it's so yeah, close, and Stockton true, is yeah. like an a hole place. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But Sa- Sacramento is a disgusting shithole. Yeah. Okay, well, like it's not safe. Yeah, 
Well, I guess that's the case. But so like, but they were looking at it there. He's like, wow, it's safer in Sacramento. He works in Sacramento. Actually, he was he was there. They just had a bunch of Jeff Sessions protests uh-huh. there because uh, Jeff Sessions has decided to take California on, which. That was one of the articles I was going to bring up, but yeah. I think I'll leave that to you. Well, um, I, I've got I've got two I want to talk about, and mm-hmm. um, so if you're if you if your light rail's over, yeah, I think what we're going to do is we're going to switch to the domain. So we'll have a little bit part of words okay. on just the standard 2015 Pinot Gris. As I as I drank more of it, mm-hmm. more of the acidity popped up and okay. things like that to me. Um, but definitely a solid solid bottle of wine yeah and for 20 bucks that's you know it ends up being about what uh 350 a glass or so some well i mean at five 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 so. glasses so it's four dollars okay four oh four dollars okay so so for once i'm not the one doing terrible math <laughs> <laughs> right i blame i'll blame it on my the frog in my throat yeah but uh yeah i thought actually you know I, and i like that we've been expanding my palate a lot because uh-huh. now i feel like if i'm going to eat something a little bit lighter like I, I understand the food pairing a little better yeah so like last night we went to that thing with the or i went to the thing with the company you you uh abstained but uh the uh he did multiple courses yanni uh-huh. it was uh yanni's wine bar if you're in this area so it's a very very nice wine bar a little expensive but very nice but he did multiple courses so they had a fish course for white mm. they had a chicken course for a sweeter white they had a uh, a beef course for reds and then they had a dessert course for dessert wine and very nice. all of those were provided there were 50 dollar glass a glass bottles of wine that were available but uh our boss was like well none of us know anything about wine so i'm not going to pay for that <laughs> but uh and you rattle off like a bunch of statistics and chug yeah, the bottle yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but it was I, I think that you and i should actually do a show there because and i bet you yanni would talk to us because he's a really nice guy and you've spoken with him a bunch on the phone i'm sure yeah and uh super nice guy super knowledgeable i don't know if he was cooking that stuff but he was dressed like he was if that if he was cooking that he's also an amazing cook because it was all delicious. He is Greek. Yeah, so. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had all, they, even the fish I liked. So like they had uh, that's rare. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They had um, what's the fish that you get uh, caviar from? Sturgeon. Sturgeon. Yeah. So he had like sturgeon and um, interest. Yeah, and it was but it was smoked and he smoked it. I guess for like. 15 hours or something like that. Wow. It was super juicy, super de- like, and, and they actually also had caviar there. And I don't care for the black or blue caviar or whatever, mm-hmm. it's, whatever color that is. The red caviar though, that they had so delicious and I don't like fish stuff at all. Yeah. And you're not a big fish. Guy. No. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I, for once I actually like some fish stuff. And, uh, oh, that's the thing is like, I, yeah. I, I've often kind of thought this about your not like a fish. Yeah. I, I think it's just a lack of preparation, mm. like experience. So, um, so what? A couple of the things that we so to note while we're switching over to the bottles, of, uh, switching out mm. bottles of wine. So the first thing I did when I opened both bottles is I smelled them. Yeah. So the twenty dollar bottle of wine, we got more distinct mm-hmm. notes in the smell, mm-hmm. in the nose, in the bouquet of it, whereas the the forty dollar one definitely was like kind of smooth there. So you've had a sip of it. Yeah. So. There are two, so I've sent you two links in the last week. Mm-hmm. One was to somebody uh, on the, so for those who don't know, Reddit has the Donald yeah. and people act like they're a giant shit show, which they are, but yeah. like they always act like these people are just like monsters who are murdering mm-hmm. babies and all that stuff when it's really just people who like Donald Trump and yeah. are don't like Hillary and wanted someplace to talk. Yeah. 
So they also have the Mueller where people are like, oh, like Mueller is so great. And so um, I'll try to remember to read the quote that I sent mm-hmm. you before. But the other one was, uh, so Dylan Roof, mm-hmm. that sick, sick kid who shot up um, that black church yeah, in like South Connecticut. Or, no, I think it was South Carolina. Yeah, South Carolina yeah. has received the death penalty. Right. And it's the first time somebody's received the death penalty in a federal hate crime case. Right. And so my thing is hate crimes don't make any sense yeah. because it's already a crime. Right. Like, it's, it's a crime. Yeah. It, why, is the mo- why is the motivation relevant? Yeah. So, so. like in, in Swipe or not Swipe, uh, South Park's terms, mm-hmm. you have to have hate in your heart to commit a crime. Mm-hmm. Like Tolkien's dad says that. He's mm-hmm. like, it's not a hate crime. All crime is hate. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it makes no sense to me. Well, if there's a victim, yes, yeah. I, I would agree. Yeah, well, that's yeah. the thing is we're, what, what, we're, what, what we're we using would the concept as, of crime. Right, yeah. of, of actual crime, which is the demonstrable damage to a victim. Exactly. Dem- and then, so, that it's just absolutely shocking to me, this concept that, like, if South Carolina has the death penalty, which mm-hmm. I think they do, yeah. but I'm not sure. Right. Like, South Carolina has its, already has laws against murdering people. Right. Why does there need to be an additional law? Because, like, he was supposedly, you know, doing it because of race. Yeah. And, like, and, and also, like, what are you going to do? Kill him twice? Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I, I, like, as a libertarian, well, an anarchist, and, like, my theory on the death penalty is that I just don't trust the government to carry it out. Oh, but yeah. uh, this secondarily, the I think the libertarian perspective or the correct libertarian perspective on crime is not crime and punishment and not crime and rehabilitation. It's crime and compensation. Yeah. So the so Dylan Roof, who is a bad guy, should spend the rest of his day making money and paying the victims' families or their heirs, who, who whoever they've designated yeah. their heirs. And I don't know that that him being executed. Well, first of all, it's, it's victimizing the victims again because they are going to have to pay to house him on death row for all the years that he gets all the various appeals and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to have to pay for him to be executed. Yeah, and it and it's not just the people of South Carolina. Yeah, or the people of that community. Mm-hmm. It's all of us. Right, because he's going to federal prison. Right, because it's and it's the federal government going mm-hmm. to execute him. It, what he did was disgusting. Mm-hmm. But to turn around and be like, oh, we're going to charge him with hate crimes. And then we're going to like, and now, like, I'm not saying he got the death penalty. Like, and I'm sure the article was, I read the article and it was a couple days ago. Yeah. But like, I don't think he got the death penalty for the hate crimes. He got the death penalty for committing murder and they just tacked hate crimes on it. Yeah. But like, at the point you're being charged with murder. Yeah. What's the advantage? Like, I understood originally when somebody first explained the idea of a hate crime Mm -hmm. to me. Back when there was a concept that like there was a possibility that the local community wasn't going to apply laws like mm. go to jail for the rest of your life for murder laws right. adequately on somebody. So the gov- federal government wanted out a way to be like, no, 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 you guys really are screwing crap up. Yeah. That made sense originally. It doesn't make sense to me now mm. because, I mean, there's multiple yeah. reasons. But, like, it's just shocking to me, like... Mm. Yeah. Oh, he committed a hate crime, so we're gonna kill him. Yeah. Okay. So, like, what's a hate crime? Any crime there's this victim. Like, right. Yeah. Because, like, yeah, I, and that's you know, and also it's kind of goes back to any any sort of ruling about motivation to me is like you don't know what's in their heart. So, and also mean, like, I mean, you could see like, for example, this was actually an example of somebody, uh, and I can't remember who it was they brought up, but it was. Do you think that Hitler like thought he was doing the wrong thing? Like he he believed he was doing what was the best for his people and for himself. And now he may have been very hateful. I don't know. I don't know his heart. Yeah. All I know is the things that he said, and the things that he said were typically anti-Jewish and pro-German. 
So mm-hmm. it was very clear to me that he thinks he was doing the right thing for his people against somebody that he perceived as being evil against his people. As somebody he perceived as being an imminent threat. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is we're still applying thoughts to his motives. Yeah, like, exactly. Well, I don't know. We don't but know. yeah, exactly. Like, I don't not, know. He may not even actually hated yeah. Jewish there is, people. He just a, may have used that as the perfect sure. scapegoat. Like well, a yeah, disgusting yeah. Yeah. But there was, that he was. A, there's a really good issue of, uh, I think it's Fantastic Four, mm. where Dr. Doom goes to get all of the vibranium from Wakanda. And he, and the, the vibranium in Wakanda is protected by the panther spirit, which is their deity, and uh, or the panther god or whatever. So, And the panther god, his, his, uh, his thing or whatever is that he sees the truth in your heart. Mm-hmm. And Doctor Doom confronts the Black Panther, and then the scene changes, and the Black Panther, the the superhero, comes and confronts the Panther, and the and the and he says, "Why do you let Doctor Doom take all the vibranium?" And the Panther says, "I've never seen a more honest man in my life." And I think that's very poignant, and a very good message is that that Doctor Doom is a fascist and like a very evil man from the perspective of the people who he's doing the harm to, but from his own perspective, he is doing the right thing. And he is genuinely believes in himself and his cause and these evil people who or who we perceive as evil. And this may be getting into like some sort of like relativist, like hippie stuff. But like that's why I think the libertarian perspective on crime and compensation is much more appropriate than crime punishment. You're you're ascribing a motivation to somebody that you do not know what's in their heart and you should be not concerned with the person who perpetrated the crime. You should be concerned with the property rights, what property rights were violated and what is the the most whole you can make the victims. Yeah. And, and, and that's, and this is, and that's one of the things that like, you know, I'm not one, as you know, mm-hmm. I'm not one to take the Christian perspective for things, but like, mm-hmm. this is one of the things that like, I never, I've never really understood about the punishment system that comes out of a lot of Christian societies. Mm-hmm. It's like God was, you know, Jesus said that like, okay, you be the first to throw the stone. Yeah. Like if you're the one, if you can make the choice mm-hmm. and you can judge, you be the first yeah. to throw the stone. And that's what I've never understood, especially like people like Jeff Sessions. Right. Where it's like claim to be these like religious people. And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to decide yeah. what like what is and what isn't. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I understand if we were talking about like abusing children. Yeah. And you're just like, look, I'm taking this guy's kid away. Sure. I get well, like describing yeah, yeah. that motive. Well, and the, and the, and this is an, actually an argument that I get into sometimes with other Christians is the, the quote is judge not lest ye be judged. Yeah. And so I think what it's actually saying is be prepared to be judged yourself. Well, and the, and also the the parable of uh, let the let those without sin cast the first stone. Yeah. And that's true and uh but I think that like see and this is the other problem I have with our criminal system is that it does not give the opportunity for people to forgive. And I think that's a violation of my religious freedoms rights. Well, and that's the thing is that if I'm the victim, I should be allowed to forgive them and our criminal justice system does not allow that. Well, the, the way the so ultimately the way this the way that our criminal justice system, and this is so, this is a deep dive mm-hmm. on my thoughts on it, but I'm going to try to do it very, very quickly because, like you said, you got that frog yeah. and I don't want to keep you too long. Plus, we haven't talked anything about this really delicious Yeah, wine. it's very good. Yeah. Um, so, we still treat crime mm-hmm. as if we are serfs. Yeah. So, the idea with crime back when there was a king mm-hmm. is you, what you, what the law was, it was the king's law. Right. And it was to punish you for damaging the king's property rights you killed his serf you stole his Mm. grains anything like that right so the state has subscribed ascribes your damage Mm. as its damage it assumes agency over you in the rights of punishing those or 
seeking redress Mm -hmm. for those who have wronged you. So, like, it it ascribes these Christian motives, which is like, you know, don't judge, we'll be the judge. We're Mm -hmm. the ultimate judge. And that's what I think, I think what it's trying, the original idea, and I think this is kind of how, and I'm not saying that the Catholic Church did this, but I think this is kind of how, why we have it in the largely, or what came out of a largely Christian societies, Mm -hmm. is the idea that I'm not judging you. The state is judging you. Mm. So somebody with a higher authority who was presented and made king by God. Right. I think that's part of the divine right is, no, no, no. I have divine right to rule. Mm -hmm. So because I have divine right to rule, I have divine right to judge. Right. Because I have the divine right to judge, you don't have to worry about the consequences of judging that like because that's what i ultimately always thought kind of was like the would be the reward like when i was religious i thought that would be the reward for those who judged others is hell okay you judged and that is that is a i think that's you know like they have the seven deadly sins i think that's the eighth sin is to judge i'm not sure but yeah there's the the seven deadly sins i think the eighth one is to judge okay because you are making you're prescribing a power that only god has Mm. Only God has the right to judge yeah, that's right. from that standpoint. And what's it to you to judge someone? Yeah. Like, like I understand, I understand, you know, thou shalt not kill. And there's mm. times where you may have to. Yeah. Like somebody's trying to stab you to death and you stop them. You, you know, you may have to swerve and kill someone as yeah. opposed to killing a squad of children. Right. Whatever. But like the whole point is you are not to judge. And that's what like I always drives me nuts about these situations is it's somebody else has decided that mm-hmm. they have the right to judge and that's the moral thing to do. It's, no, it's not because if like you you and I have always kind of said like somebody steals ten thousand dollars from us, yeah, you know I'm probably not going to fight to get that back. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just going to let it go at that point. But like somebody kills my child, then I'm never going to let that go. Now I will probably commit a lot more crimes in the process of revenging myself and doing yeah. things that I would not do otherwise. Right. But like, you know, I'm not going to go out and kill somebody just for the hell of it. Yeah. Somebody kills my kid, they're probably not going to live. Yeah. Like, just that's what's going to happen. Like, it sucks, yeah. but that's just blowback. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But like, that's the thing is like this idea that thou shall not judge. Yeah. And all these people do is go around judging, and that's what drives me nuts about like especially the religious South is this idea that like, Oh, we have to judge. And so then that gives the state that, and as I think we've talked about it a little bit where the state is trying to assume every aspect of life. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, we'll be your God and judge for you. No. Yeah. Like if you believe in the Christian faith, you are not to judge and no other man is to judge. And that's where I think it's a really good anti-communist statement Mm -hmm. and anti-government statement in that parable. Yeah. Judge not, least you be judged. Right. Because what it's saying is you're judging now. Yeah, be prepared. Ten minutes from now, you're getting your head caved in with a rock for judging someone else. You know, it's like like kind of the classic Roman, like in my mind, classic Roman thing. Like, ah, you were fucking that prostitute. Now we're going to kill you. Yeah. But you're a rat. So we're going to kill you too. Right. (laughs) Like, ah. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We're Rome. (laughs) Like, now I don't have any examples of Rome actually doing that. But like, that's kind of that classic anti-communist. Yeah. Well, and, you know, this is a lot of our criminal justice system is, it does come out of the progressive era. And uh, the progressives are heavily, heavily influenced by puritanical Christian beliefs. So, and this kind of goes back to like what Malice and, you know, uh, Thad Russell and those types of guys say a lot is that progressivism is uh, Christianity, but without God. Mm -hmm. They they have a Messiah. His name is Barack Obama, but, uh, or whoever their guy at the time is, but like, 
they it, it is very much a fanatical religious belief and um and it, a lot of our justice system has kind of set up in this in this like sort of redemption system that's why we have the rehabilitation thing is that like for me I really don't care if somebody's rehabilitated or not. I, I may, you know, from a political standpoint, I don't. I may, you know, contribute to a charity or something like that that does help re- rehabilitate people. But from the perspective of justice, rehabilitation is completely irrelevant. Like you're making the victim being whole is justice or as whole as possible. Well, and the, so this is this is one of those things where, like, I think one of the things that would happen in an anarchist society would be rehabilitation of criminals because that would be part of the insurance compensation. That could be, you yeah. wouldn't be allowed to be reinsured as a person right. until you if you committed that. a crime yeah. until you went through these you know programs yeah. of learning to redress and things but like that's, that. But that's that's the beauty though of the insurance system is that the victim is immediately compensated. Yeah. And and if your neighbor and you had a, a fight and you were the victim of some sort of aggression from your neighbor and he made you whole or your insurance company made you whole very quickly, it's much more likely that you're going to reconcile than if he goes to jail. Because yeah. what does jail do for you? You're still out $50,000 or you're, you're still, still out $50,000. He's whatever. got no kid. Like his kid's yeah. now on the street. Like right. all that terrible stuff. So on those awful notes, let's talk yeah. about a good wine. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is actually uh, – I'm, I'm not surprised, but I – it, it is interesting how different these are. So one of my thoughts were, and this is one of the things about most of the wines we choose, mm-hmm. they tend to have a higher acidity to yeah. them. And that, it's kind of like drinking a sour beer. Yeah. You get a lot of the sour up front, and then you taste the wonderful mm-hmm. notes of a sour beer. If you yeah. can't get past the first couple of sips, then you know, right. you're know kind of always stuck on not liking sours. Yeah. So I wonder if we poisoned ourselves having the lower end wine mm. and now we're tasting like all, you know, because this has a lower acidity for sure. sure. Yeah. Um, if we're just tasting all of the extra flavors and it would have taken more to get mm. into. Yeah. So what I thought about doing was possibly just swapping them on yeah. the next show. Like, oh, yeah. Swapping them and seeing the order. But this is very smooth. Very smooth. It's got a lot of different fruit notes mm-hmm. in it. I mean, this is a it's a good yeah, bottle very of wine. very good bottle of wine. It yeah, and I agree. It's 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 very very smooth. It and you can kind of see it on the glass too. It's very viscous. Yes. So it's got it's got that kind of like uh, slippery mouthfeel a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, it's also a little bit heavier mouthfeel than the previous one. And so, Not nearly as alcoholic tasting. Yeah, um, a lot just, of like a lot of burn mm-hmm. on the back. Like in the back of the throat, mm-hmm. but not like um, an alcohol burn. Mm-hmm. There's like more of like the acid is back there, at least for me. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's a lot more like not sour up front, but sour on the swallow. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely got some different fruit notes in it. Yeah. Um, so one of the things we didn't do on the other one, but we'll do on this one real quick is read the back. Okay. So King Estate Domain wine is made from the highest quality fruit sourced exclusively from our estate vineyard in Oregon's Wilmette. Willamette. Willamette Valley, the bottle you are holding represents our family's commitment to sustainable agricultural practice and hands-on winemaking methods. Domain wines are an honor to make and to offer to those who appreciate the very best. And you know what also I noticed? That had absolutely nothing to do with the specific (laughs) wine you're drinking. Yeah, but you know what what also it has that this one doesn't have, the the cheaper one, the the more expensive one has that... uh, the farminess, which I think is from yeast, mm-hmm. it, it is I can kind of taste more of a, a yeastiness to it that is farmy. Yeah. So, and, and this one is more of a cleaner, non-farmy taste. And by that, he's pointing to the, the cheaper the, one. The yeah. cheaper one. So overlooking our beautiful valley, 
southwest of Eugene, Oregon, our family-owned winery (laughs) is dedicated to quality without compromise. The grapes for this wine are from our estate vineyard blended with fruit from the finest vineyards in the Willamette Willamette. Willamette (laughs) Valley, all sustainably farmed. Oregon Pinot Grigio has incredible food pairing versatility. We are honored that you have selected the wine to enjoy with your meal. So that one has a little bit about the wine, mm. except for it just talks about Oregon yeah. Pinot Grigio, because it's like not their not their grapes, their, yeah. Just well, it's not just theirs, because there there yeah. are some fruit, right. uh, some of their fruits in it. But like that's one of those marketing things where it's yeah. like it doesn't talk about the wine itself. Right. Like yeah. a very interesting concept to me. Yeah. So, but I think this is good, and I think yeah, I think yeah. what we'll do is I'm going to finish this glass. If you want to have more, you can. Uh, I'm going to use my wine saver and plug both of these when you're done yes. so that you can bring them home and share them with your wife because I think she might yeah. might try, like to try it as well. Exactly. Um, and I've got two stoppers for the wine savers oh, and nice. uh, very inexpensive. I think I, I probably at this point when this is released, I'll have a review up for it on uh, tastinganarchy.com. Tasting and uh, yeah, very good. Um, you want to do one more topic before we're done? Yeah, I think we should do one more topic, which will lead to um, an off-air conversation. Okay. All right. Uh, do you want to do my topic, which is about South Africa land seizure, or do you want to do your own topic? Well, my own, my topic is – so I'm going to read it real quick okay? because it's just in a statement we both agree on, and then we'll do South Africa because I think that mm-hmm. is really interesting. So – there's a picture of Robert Mueller, who looks like a video game character. Yeah, Mueller. <laughs> Mueller. Uh, yeah. uh, this is Robert Mueller, the special counsel investigating Russian interference in the 2016 election. Mueller is a decorated Marine officer who fought in the jungles of Vietnam, a former assistant attorney general, an acting deputy attorney general, and an FBI, FBI director for 12 years. Mm-hmm. Other words, he's yeah, a mass murderer. Mass murderer. Well, that's the thing is like, and I, I, we, we talked, I don't think we actually talked about this a little bit. I've been listening to the Jocko Wilkins podcast lately. And I also think, somebody that I don't kind of want to listen to stuff from because I think he's a mass murderer as well. Well, and see, listening to him has kind of changed my mind a little bit. And, and it's kind of led me to, so, and it's it changed my mind a little bit on the military in general. And that is that, and Rothbard talks about this in his thing is Rothbard never comes out and says that like the soldier who fought in Vietnam are murderers or anything like that. They are dupes of murderers. And in his words, they're, they're dupes. So, and I kind of think that this is the case because if you look at like the, the actions and the beliefs of people in the military, the largest donations to the Ron Paul campaign from the military uh-huh. and the, a lot of the, a lot of the kind of like liberty type people that are like, um, I can't remember his name, but the, there's a guy running for Congress in Georgia who's, uh, ex Navy, uh, ex Navy SEAL or ex Green Beret. I can't remember which it is from the military, but kind of while he was there, he's like, Ooh, like I'm we're being taken advantage of. And, and also visiting like places like, so there's a place in Florida called Palatka and it is a shithole. It is the middle of nowhere. There's nothing to do there except for go to the Sonic and that, and like we talked to a chick there and we were like, well, what do you guys do for fun around here? It's like, well, on Friday nights we go to the Sonic. And it's like, oh my God. Like, I mean, if this is a great life for you, more power to you. But like, to me, this sounds like a nightmare. There's no restaurants here. There's no like outdoor activity. Well, there's a lake nearby. That that's kind of nice. I'd like to, I'd like to go lake to, on the lake and go boating or whatever. But like, it just sounds awful. But the one store that was still open in the Platka Mall was a military recruiter, and I can really put myself in those people's position and be like, there's no way for me to get out of this place unless I'm basically bribed by the government, duped and bribed to go fight for my country. Which 
You know, usually when you're in that type of situation, you believe in these things. Like this is, this is something you believe and this is your way out. They're offering, they're bright. They're offering you tons of money. Now, at the same time, once by the astonishing amount of PTSD that we're seeing is I think that these people are morally torn. Now, this guy, Mueller, chose to go on and join the FBI after facing the fact that he is killing children in mass and killing families and stuff like that. So he continued to buy into the shit and join the FBI who, and when you join the FBI, you know what you swear an oath to? The Constitution of the United States. And you know what the FBI doesn't pay attention to? The Constitution of the United States. Because the FBI has, there's no provision for the FBI in the Constitution. Yeah, exactly. So So this is one of those things where I don't think everybody, like, I don't think everybody in the military is mass murderers, but part of my problem is so mm-hmm. in World War One, yeah, most people when they fired their guns aimed specifically away from people. Right. In World War Two, most people didn't look when they pulled the trigger. Right. In Korea, they started looking. Yeah. In Vietnam, they definitely looked mm-hmm. until today, where they absolutely yeah. are pulling the trigger with the full intent to kill who they're shooting at. Well, that's probably why they have such massive cases well, of PTSD. That's, that's possibly part of it. But part of the problem is also the people who are willing and this is so this is the disgustingness of the state, mm-hmm. as we've talked about. They've so disenfranchised, not disenfranchised, but they've so torn apart the way our economy works. Mm-hmm. The gun the government used to be three percent of the of the GDP. Yeah. So when the government was 3% of GDP, you didn't have to join the military right. to escape shitholeville. Mm-hmm. And when prices went down, everybody benefited. benefited. Right. So now what happens? Prices don't go down. Right. They force inflation upon people. So the government, but even then, there is still more opportunity to make money in the United States yeah. than anywhere else in the world. Sure. Yeah. Constantly. And so like these people are like, oh, I don't have anywhere else to go but the military. Yeah, you do. Well, they there do. There are people who come from yeah. Mexico. They do. And- but I mean, like this is the thing is like, and you see the statistics out of this is like recruiters and particularly recruiters that have been involved in the Ron Paul campaign. And I th- I'm sure that you've listened to the episodes of uh, Tom Woods, where he interviews the, like a lot of like the former like people who became conscientious objectors and that sort of stuff is they're lied to. And they're and. You know, there. I, I think that most, not I wouldn't say most, but I'd say a lot of soldiers are victims of the state as much as the people that they end up killing. Yeah, and 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 it screws up their sure. life. So, like, this is another good example of this. Is like, uh, is the VA Bernie Sanders uh, was in charge <laughs> of? Is the VA for years and years and years refused to acknowledge that the uh, I can't remember what it's called, but the traumatic brain injury from like repeated concussion TBI. TBI. It's just traumatic uh, brain injury. Yeah. So, yeah. so they is they refuse to acknowledge that this existed, and they recently, uh, actually, at my dad's command, they recently did a uh, a scan of like most of the special forces, and a lot of them have TBI. Like, yeah. and it's something you can see in an MRI is that like you got Swiss cheese brain. Yeah. That's why you beat the shit out of your wife. Yeah, and that's and, and that's why you became like. So this is this is the thing that like so recently like the commandant of the Marine Corps yeah basically said that. Thirty percent of high schoolers are eligible to join the military, mm-hmm. and Jason Stapleton was talking about it, and it was mainly because they were so kids were so yeah. overweight. But no, it's actually because most people aren't mentally equipped to right. join the military, and that was a part of the problem. Is the government because of the disincentives of being in the military because right. the civilian world is so much better right. has had to lower the standard consistently. Mm-hmm. To have people join the military. Yeah. So you have less qualified individuals who mentally, physically, and emotionally, because those mm. are all different yeah. components, 
from joining the military. Like you used to have, like in the Roman days, mm. the most disgusting human beings possible joining yeah. the military because it was that or keep killing to live in the streets. Yeah. And they're like, I might as well get paid for it. Right, right. And now we've got, you know, people like your dad who, like, realistically, mm. if he, if there were a better path, might be a conscientious, conscientious objector right. from, like, his well, general yeah. moral standpoint. Yeah. Like, he, you know, the, well, the stuff I, yeah. that... And I've spoken with him. I, I mean, like, he's a true believer. So, yeah. like, I, he really believes that... Now, I, 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 won't, I don't want to put words into his mouth because I don't know, but, like, he, from the conversations we've had, like, he's got reservations about Iraq and Afghanistan, particularly now when it's, you know, 17 years later. Yeah. Uh, like, he's just like... I, you know, I don't know. I'm, I can't say anything like I'm in the military. Like that's, you know, he believes in duty and all that sort of stuff. But like, there's the, there's but the then, but we, between... but we know people who are, who, you know, this is a military town. We know a lot of people in the military who are not good people. Yeah. There's a difference between honoring your commitments yeah. and blowing up children. Yeah. Like you can honor your commitments to defend your country right. and be in the Coast Guard. Sure. And yeah, well, and a lot of them are going to Iraq now. <laughs> well, a lot of them are, like, yeah. they're also like, there's Coast Guard cutters enforcing like, the, Weird immigration laws. No, and, the Coast Guards are the Coast Guard is enforcing like the embargoes on freaking oh, yeah. North Korea. It's like they're Coast Guard cutters that are they're not made to go but so many miles from the yeah, port. Like yeah. they're they're right. made to go save people in boats that sunk. Yeah. Like they're not like But I mean that's like that's but listening to Jocko Wilkins kind of has has changed my mind a little bit, not on the military in general, but like it, it, it reminded me a lot of like what Rothbard has said about it and what Ron Paul has said about it is that like these that these people are true believers and I think that they're and I guess this is kind of going back to like ascribing motivation or whatever to people that who we don't know what's in their heart is that I don't think that a it it doesn't further our cause to be like oh they're baby killers or whatever like the what's his name in the libertarian yeah. VP, but also it doesn't further our cause. And also, I just don't think that's true. I think that most of them are like you or me, who, you know, I, I mean, I tried to join the military at one point and was my tattoo was too big. Yeah. And uh, and then they were like, well, you can go in the army. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I'll just go study computers. But uh, but like that sort of thing where it's like they were at a different point in their life at point when I was in that point. And, and at that point in my life, I did buy into that. I actually, at that time, I believed that, that it should be mandatory. Uh, military service that you should be you should be forced to join the military and and then you'd be able to and that would be uh that would be part of what gave you the right to vote is that mm -hmm. is that you served in the military and part of my reasoning for that was that you'd have much more conservative voters but uh <laughs> supposedly yeah supposedly but you know you don't know but uh that was the so listening to him and like he's got mostly i've been listening to him because he's his leadership uh you know i don't i don't want to be a a programmer for the rest of my life i'd like to go to be a team leader and all that sort of stuff and he's got a lot of good leadership uh mm -hmm. pointers i guess and like uh just an interesting guy he reminds me a lot of jason stapleton um and jason stapleton sort of has the same path where you know he's good at one thing killing people and or he's, he's good at a lot of things but he always says that one of the things he's best at is killing people and yeah. uh and he made money doing it and i don't fault him for it i think probably he's done things that violate the the nap and I'm sure that uh, he believes that he's done things that violate the NAP. That's the, yeah, that's the difference with Stapleton is, like, he knows and, like, yeah. wouldn't do them now for the right. most part. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the same thing with, like, a, the a, a lot of the, like, the guys that have been on Ron Paul or conscientious objectors is that they realized partway through their service that they were like, oh, like, this is not good. 
And this yeah. is not – and also, like, I swore an oath to protect the Constitution of the United States. Had the Constitution get into a cave over in Afghanistan? Like, yeah, exactly. Like, my, my freedom's not over there. My freedom is here. I dropped a bunch of pamphlets. That's how. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> all right. Uh, and then I guess – was that all that you wanted to say about that one? Yeah, let's let's table the other one. Okay. Uh, I'll, we'll have an off conver- off-air conversation, and we, we'll, we'll definitely do that next time. Sure. Because I think it'll be relevant still even at yeah, that point. Yeah, I think so. Um, and we may have more information to talk about it, so yeah. uh, got to listen in to figure out that. Yeah. Now, if, you, if you're wondering, it's about South Africa. Yeah. If you can't figure out what we're talking about in uh, – March of 2018 in South Africa, <laughs> yeah. and you know, then it really didn't matter. And good thing we didn't talk about it. Yeah, but uh, we'll definitely talk about it next time. Okay. Um, so King Estates Pinot Grigio, honestly, the twenty and forty dollar bottle range, you you can't, can't go, go bad yeah. either way. They're like, both great. They're both great. Like if you if you don't really drink Pinots, um, I would suggest starting with the twenty dollar one because it. it it's more typical to mm-hmm. like, especially if twenty dollars is your price range. Yeah, that's more typical to what you're gonna drink. And if you drink the forty dollar bottle one, forty dollars a bottle one first, then you're gonna be like, why aren't any of the rest of them like this? Well, right. yeah. that's why because yeah. this yeah. is a it was a higher quality bottle of wine. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it is. It's very good, and this is I think one of the first times that we've done a compare. Actually, it is the first time yeah, we've, we've done a comparison. We've talked about doing it several times, and now. like, and really like. I do tell that there is a difference between the more expensive one. Mm-hmm. And so is it worth more? Um, I think so. Uh, it's definitely worth the price. But the $20 one, would you go wrong if you're having like a nice chicken dinner or a nice, you know, you would great not grilled go, fish you, or something like that? If you like white wine, you would not go wrong with yeah. either bottle, mm-hmm. especially if they're your price range. Right. Now, if you're if you're splurging, hey, you know. Yeah, go with the 40 Well, no, I'm saying if you're, if you're splurging for the $20 one. Oh. You know, there are some $10 bottle yeah. Pinots that aren't bad. Yeah. And, you know, if you're splurging at the 40, get the 20. Right. Like, you, you're not, you're not going to be unserved on either. Right. So. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, so check us out on tastinganarchy.com and at tastinganarchy on Twitter. Yeah. And uh, uh, I've been, I was out because I was in Dallas, so I wasn't really posting at all, but I'm back in the game complaining to the California Senators mostly. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> which is, but uh, yeah, but that's uh, that's a wrap, I guess. Yes, sir. Have a great night. Have a good one, everyone. Tan down doors, drinking half gowns and calling for more. Drinking wine, for you to drink wine. Mop, mop. Wine, for you to drink wine. Mop, mop. Wine, for you to drink wine. Mop, mop. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Drink it, man. Oh, give me some of that slop. Oh, pass that bottle to me. If you want to get along in Peter's town. Buy some wine and pass it around. Age runs up to 49. All them cats, they love sweet wine. Drinking wine, for you to drink wine. Wine, for you to drink wine. Wine, for you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Wine, wine, wine. Elderberry. Wine, wine, wine. Cherry, cherry. Wine, wine, wine. Blackberry. Wine, wine, wine. Horton Sherry. Wine, wine, wine. Oh, pass that bottle to me. Now down on Gilsey at Willis Den, he wasn't selling for the American gin. One soldier wanted a bottle of wine, he hit that cat for a dollar and a dime. I drink a wine for the other day, wine, wine for the other day, wine, wine for the other day, wine. Pass that bottle to me. Now I got a nickel, have you got a dime? Let's get together and get some wine. Some buys fifth and some buys four. When you get together, you're doing things smart. Drinking wine, for you to drink wine. Wine, for you to drink wine. Wine.